no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. All right, wow. Uh, we finally get a good finish to a primetime game. Thanks for hanging out with uh, First and Pod. I am Danny Parkins. Andrew Filipponi is taking some much-deserved and earned paternity leave. And we were going to have Mike Meltzer in for this, but uh, he ended up having a conflict. So I'm going to be solo on this episode, but then Meltzer will be in for the next three. uh, And then Pony will be back in a couple of weeks. Spencer Ray is, of course, producing. What a weird game with the Bills and and the Giants. Bills a 15 and a half point favorite win by five and needs some horrible execution at the end of the first half and the end of the game uh, by the Giants in order to escape by the skin of their teeth. I mean, they they ran when they needed to pass and then they passed when they probably should have run. Uh, Tyrod Taylor checking to the run at the end of the first half, not giving them multiple shots into the end zone and the opportunity to bring on a field goal unit. Then at the end of the game, obviously, if they would have kicked that field goal, they would have been able to kick a game-winning field goal. But because they didn't kick it, they needed to get in the end zone. And then Tyrod shows a ton of poise, uh, converting on a fourth down, getting a pass interference on another. And then they get down for an untimed down at the one. And credit to the Bills for calling out the switch and like the bunch formation. But uh, felt like Tyrod had done everything that he could have done, and that was a uh, – live or die with Saquon moment or the old uh, tush push. I don't know why we're throwing jump balls to, to Darren Waller in the back of the end zone on short yardage goal line things anymore. Just it's third and one, fourth and one. The NFL is allowing for rugby play to be a cheat code. You should probably take advantage of it before they outlaw the rules. So uh, yeah, if you're a Giants fan, you're just devastated by your inability to execute inside the two yard line. And if you're a Bills fan, well, I mean, you won, you're four and two. Josh Allen had an absolutely 11 out of 10 degree of difficulty touchdown pass. Uh, Your defense continues to be pretty damn good by the numbers. Obviously, Giants not exactly a juggernaut offensively. Diggs is uh, amazing, but beyond that, there's just something off. And I was the team, the guy who's been on them and liked them. They're like a bottom. You know what? They're a, they're the top of tier two. As we get past the third of the way into the season, you know, I can't put them with San Francisco or Philly or Detroit or Kansas City or Miami uh, right now. And I know about the head-to-head result, obviously, but they've just they've played down to their opponents. Too many times. So, you know, I would have them like just outside of the top five in a power ranking. Um, Still think Josh Allen's numbers will be there at the end of the year. Still think that they're going to the playoffs. Still think that they are going to be, you know, a double-digit win team. But uh, that's just – that is just a sloppy, sloppy performance overall offensively uh, by the Bills. No reason that game should have been close. Just 169 yards passing – for Josh Allen and Diggs had over 100 
I mean, the offense is basically Stephon Diggs and nothing else. And I know there was some talk about whether or not Allen was hurt at that spot. He was running. He was unleashing. I'm like, I, I don't think that that should get a ton of play tomorrow. But let's get to the games. I want to start with San Francisco and Cleveland. And I've said uh, that the Niners were a 17-0 and threat this year. And then they lose in Cleveland with a backup quarterback. So obviously, and there's plenty of egg on my face this week for some of my predictions that we'll we'll, we'll get to. I'm now 15 and two against the spread in picks on the uh, on the Parkinson Spiegel show with a 0 uh, and three week pending. Need the Chargers on Monday night, but you know there's no undefeated team left right now. I still think San Francisco is the best team in the league. Purdy was not good. He drove them down at the end of the game for a shot at the game-winning kick that Moody missed. Their roster is so good that they drafted a kicker in the third round. That's how good San Francisco's roster is. Now, that's a smug pick. I don't care how good you are. But he goes one of three on field goals, including uh, the game winner. It's always tougher to lose guys in-game than for the next game. Because like for the next game, you can game plan for it. You know, we saw it today with Miami losing. They lost Achan last week. Mostert uh, ha- has the big game. Like, you lose McCaffrey and Debo in-game, early in-game, that's that's going to be a difficult thing, even for the best play caller and arguably best coach uh, to, to overcome. And the Browns' D, let's give them credit. They're awesome. Uh, they held San Francisco – well under 30. It's the first time they've been under 30 this year. Niners probably still should have won the game. Um, but injuries on the road, letdown spot after the Dallas game, good Cleveland defense, missed kicks, and the worst game that Brock Purdy has had in the regular season as a pro, that's a formula for an upset. Jets and Eagles, as we continue to go through the teams that have Super Bowl aspirations uh, before the year, I'm going to use my one early, more about the Jets win or the Philly loss. I think it's actually more about the Jets win, uh, but I will address the Philly loss first. Philly just hasn't looked like itself. I said last week that I thought that the Rams game was the most that they looked like last year, but they just, they have played down to their opponents consistently on a light schedule. And so, you know, Jalen Hurts had some absolutely terrible, uncharacteristic turnovers. They had four turnovers as a team. You know, he had maybe the highest degree of difficulty play of the day that what was it, third and nine conversion where he rolled right and had a dude hanging all over him and hit it to A.J. Brown on the sidelines. Like when they're rolling, their best is still among the best. But crazy turnovers, and I don't know how you throw that one at the end of the game. You know, that's probably a spot, honestly, where if you're going to pass on third and nine, the instruction has to be you only throw it if it's a layup. And if not, you run or you slide and you just go down because you run the ball, you force, you know, timeouts and clock usage there. 
and uh, you let your defense, which played really well in the second half, do its thing. Very, very questionable clock management by Philly. Some uh, some self-inflicted wounds. But the Jets, man, you know, Robert Sala after the game said they've played a murderer's row of quarterbacks and they've embarrassed all of them. I don't know that they've embarrassed all of them, but they've certainly made them all uncomfortable. And, you know, they obviously are playing with a very small margin for error given their offensive limitations at quarterback. But if they beat New England, they've got a winning record right now. And Aaron Rodgers, he just happened to find the camera. I mean, I don't know. He didn't need to, I guess, as he could have thrown on a field in California somewhere. But he made the trip. He joined the team. And then is throwing pregame, walking with no crutches, walking with no boot, throwing on the field. I said he couldn't come back and play. I still think he can't come back and play. But the reason why the story is the Jets win is their roster is clearly good enough to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's abundantly clear. They didn't have their top two corners, including Sauce Gardner, arguably their best defensive player. I'd probably give it to Quinn and Williams, but they didn't have their top two corners in this game going up against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts, and they win. That's an incredible accomplishment. Uh, and if somehow, some way, they get into the postseason as a wild card in the AFC and have Aaron Rodgers back, they are an incredibly dangerous team. And Brees Hall, as he works his way back from injury, is looking like a top 10 running back. And we know Garrett Wilson's awesome. So top five defense, good running back, good number one receiver, and a real carrot out there to play for. Just stay alive until Rodgers comes back. They're a very, very interesting team. And frankly, an easy team to root for uh, right now. Because a lot of teams, you would say, would, would crumble in this circumstance. And they haven't. We called this the game of the week, Seattle and Cincy. My God, what happened to my boy Gino? What happened to Gino? Just terrible, terrible awareness consistently through a terrible red zone interception early, took terrible sacks late, multiple times, just... That game was right there for them. And yes, this was one of my picks on the air. I thought them coming off the bye in this spot, as since he continues to work through some of its rust, was going to be uh, a good spot for Seattle. Two picks by Geno. And how many sacks did he take? Four sacks, including two there late in that in the fourth quarter. Just a... A brutal, brutal performance when so much was there uh, for the taking. And then the one thing I'd say about, and they dominated too. I mean, 380 yards to 214. That that should have been a Seattle win. That's very frustrating. But um, Joe Burrow, I don't think we can use the, uh, the health excuse anymore. Like T. Higgins coming back from the rib injury. They'll get back in a groove. But... He had a play where, and he's not the most mobile dude in the world, but 
like stepped up in the pocket, bounced off a lineman, dropped back, spun around, fired it off. Like Burrow's calf looked healthy. And they now get to the bye and they sit three and three, right? So they they got to uh, the week seven bye, three and three. Their schedule's absolutely brutal. They play San Francisco out of the bye, but the Bengals saved their season. They're alive for a wild card in the AFC. So pretty impressive. And the reason I say a wild card in the AFC is we can go to the next game, the London game, Baltimore and Tennessee. It feels to me like Lamar Jackson is being let down by those around him. I watched the vast majority of that game. And we know the story of last week's game was all of the drops. There were more drops in this game, not more drops than last week, but more as in the drop issue continued. I feel like the target share needs to go up for Mark Andrews. I know that him and Zay Flowers have a very good uh, rapport right now. And Andrews had the second most targets on the team with six, but Aguilar and Beckham and Bateman and certainly any of the running backs out of the backfield, um, real bad. Like, I know why people are trying to make Saquon Barkley to Baltimore happen. Like, that – but does John Harbaugh know that he doesn't have Saquon Barkley? Like, Lamar is just torching the Titans secondary when his dudes aren't letting him down with drops. And he's just first down, Edwards up the middle. Second down, Edwards up the middle. Next drive, Justice Hill, first down, up the middle. What are they doing? Supposed to be a passing on it. Feels to me like Lamar's play, Lamar is playing like an MVP if he was surrounded by more trust in the coaching staff. And I know they invested in play pass catchers around him, but they've just, outside of Zay Flowers, it has not been enough. So I feel like Lamar is playing like a top five quarterback in the NFL this year and is just being dramatically uh, let down. And then, listen, I I don't like Tennessee. You guys know this, but they must just be saying that Will Levis, there's no scenario in which that dude gets onto the field. Because, and that's fine if that's your strategy. Like we're making him the third. We're not making him active. We don't want him to get on the field. But Tannehill gets hurt. Malik Willis is bad. Like bad, 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 bad. So maybe that's what's going on with Will Levis. But maybe that's a developmental tact. But I'd want to know something of what I have. I know that's becoming a little bit more popular now, but play your dudes early. Play them early. Indy and Jacksonville. Well, our number one listener of Fox Sports 1 and our friend Nick Wright, he offered us 75 bucks a piece to get out of our $100 plus 450, four and a half to one uh, Colts to win the AFC South bet. I turned it down. I said that I would gladly pay an extra $25 for my pride, to which he said that that is foolish. Jacksonville has now swept the season series with Indianapolis. And they're probably going to win the division. And Indy is probably not going to win the division. And now Anthony Richardson is talking about 
season-ending shoulder surgery. So it's a very bad situation for the Colts believers among us. But I would say this. Gardner Minshew normally takes tremendous care of the football. We've talked about his touchdown-to-interception ratio many times on this show, his passer rating. I don't know what Monstar from Space Jam, Evil Twin, infiltrated Gardner Minshew's body. Terrible fumble early, gifts Jacksonville an early touchdown. Terrible interception when driving down 14-3. to Then another bad interception straight to Jacksonville. Like non-competitive turnovers in the own zone, giving them, well, one driving down uh, to cut it to 14 to 10, one to give them one of their first touchdowns of the game. Just like these were not, you know, midfield, uh, unblocked rusher, nothing he could do about it, fumble, but then your defense holds them and it just cost you 30 yards of field position. Like these were, Points off turnovers, direct result, touchdowns, non-competitive. Gardner Minshew was awful in that game. And he had he started the game 9 of 10, drove him right down the field. They had to settle for a short field goal. I was feeling pretty good early. Just a pathetic, pathetic display of taking care of the ball by Indianapolis. So this game is maybe a little bit higher up in the rundown than it deserves to be. But I was fascinated by how Atlanta lost the game. And I know you could say like, well, Sam Howell had three touchdowns and Desmond Ritter had three interceptions. That's how they lost the game. And that is fundamentally true. But we talked last week about who was more likely to be the quarterback uh, next year, Howell or Ritter. This was a big step in the right direction for Howell, even though he had only had like 150-something passing yards. But... Atlanta finally remembered that they have three elite skill position dudes who they used first round picks on and their offense was incredibly productive against the defense that's been bad, especially against the pass. And they only scored 16 points because their quarterback kept turning it over. Bijan had 18 touches. Kyle Pitts had a touchdown. Drake London, finally, 9 for 125. I mean, listen to these team stat discrepancies. 402 yards of offense to 193 in Atlanta's favored. More than doubled up the commanders. 36 to 24 minutes, time of possession. Falcons over commanders. Twice as many first downs. I mean, I know other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But the Falcons straight up dominated that game. They had an incredible offensive game, and then Ritter just gave it away. Showed the potential of what they could actually be with just league average quarterback play to take care of the ball. Those dudes are awesome. It's an awesome skill position group, and it showed out today. Now let's talk about my Detroit Lions, and I can say my Detroit Lions because Pony isn't here to claim that it's ours even though I'm the one who bet them to win the North before the year, bet them to win the Super Bowl before the year. They're my Detroit Lions. That is an incredibly impressive win. Because coming in, you know, they're only a three-point favorite, tough matchup. Detroit's injured. They're banged up on offense. No Gibbs, a couple of offensive linemen hurt. Tampa blitzes a ton. Goff has not been nearly as good against the blitz. It was seen in like a 
styles made make fight situation as a bad style of fight for the Detroit offense. Well, all they do, and David Montgomery gets hurt in the game, so the best running back threat that they've had this year has been one of the five best running backs in the NFL. Goff throws for 353 yards and two touchdowns. Jamison Williams, former first-round pick, has the play of his NFL career to this point on the crazy adjustment uh, on the ball. Only had three targets, but makes him count. Two catches, one of them the long 40-plus yard touchdown. That Reynolds block on the Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown highlighted the day in the NFL. Just an unbelievable effort play. That's going to be the one that all the offensive linemen, film guru types just go absolutely nuts for, even though it's not a lineman making the block. Like, that's just a hustle play. Like, every coach in the league will use that in film review to, to make an example of never quitting on a play. Winning in different ways, winning 20-6. to six. And here's a couple of big-picture thoughts for you on Detroit. Is it possible that their defense is better than their offense? I would say no, but they haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher this year. Now, I know Tampa is the worst rushing team in the NFL, but they are starting to stack very impressive defensive output games. And I know Branch is hurt, but Campbell looks really good. Hutchinson's a top 10 uh, edge in the NFL, uh, flirting with top five. Kaminsky is really good. Like they, they are a very, very, very solid defense. And they just continue to try to make teams one-dimensional. Dan Campbell, 28 and 12 against the spread. Best in the NFL in the last 40 games. Like they take care of their gambling public. Love this team. And then Jared Goff. We should start talking about the Lions as a situation like Philly, like San Francisco, where the situation is awesome and that a ton of quarterbacks would look good in that spot. But golf has been incredible. This was pointed out to me by my buddy, Len Casper, uh, former voice of the Cubs, current voice of the White Sox on the radio, diehard Lions fan. In Jared Goff's last 15 games, he has 26 touchdowns against three interceptions. And all three of his interceptions, he followed up with a touchdown pass on the next drive. Goff has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL going back to the midway point of last year. Doesn't turn the ball over. Throws it down the field. Makes plays. They are really good. I still think that 14-1 uh, to 1 on them to win the Super Bowl is good. I think it's crazy that Dallas has better odds than them to win the NFC. You get the Lions at 6-1. to 1 to win the NFC right now, uh, I still think there's value in, in Detroit futures, though the NFC North bet, that that is long since left the station. Carolina-Miami. Is there anything left to say about Miami's offense? I mean, no. Other than, can they do it on the road in January in the cold? Well, they might not need to. Like, they might get the one seed. Doesn't look like they're going to have to go to Buffalo. Doesn't look like they'll have to go to New York. Doesn't look like they'll have to go to Cincy. Uh, maybe they'll have to go to Kansas City for the Arrowhead Invitational. That's certainly possible. They are an underdog in Philly 
next Sunday night, and I like Miami. I will be hoping that that line gets to three, and then I will be betting the Dolphins. It's two and a half right now in the early look ahead line. I mean, they're just they're incredible. And individually, I want to point this out. 1964. 1964. And no, I'm not talking about the year. I'm talking about Calvin Johnson, the single season receiving yards record. That's falling if Tyreek Hill stays healthy. He's got 814 receiving yards already. 814 receiving yards for Tyreek Hill. I mean, in six games. So, obviously there's a 17-game season now. So, he's got to break it in 16 games for there to be no asterisk next to it. But Tyreek Hill is the best non-quarterback offensive player in football this year. McCaffrey's been incredible. He's right there. Jefferson, before he got hurt, you'd say he's right there. I know McCaffrey has the touchdown streak, but Tyree Kill is, I mean, I don't know what other superlative I could put on it other than that. He's the toughest matchup in the NFL. And Calvin Johnson's record is very, very much in danger. Rams, Cardinals. Question here is, is the tank back on for Arizona? And my answer is definitively yes. Mainly because Josh Dobbs is terrible. Seems like a nice guy. Obviously very, very smart. It's not his fault. They play hard, but the guy just misses open throws. Routinely. Down the field. Under throws. Across the middle. Low throws. It's just, it's... It's bad. It's a bad situation. They've got one win. They beat the Cowboys. The NFL is very weird. Um, Felt like they could have been up 14 points in the first half in this game. If Dobbs would have just made throws that the top 20, 25 quarterbacks in the NFL make eight or nine out of 10 times. And he wasn't close. So, you know, they, we don't know when Kyler's coming back. They are playing hard for a first-year head coach. But feels like they've got Houston's first-round pick, which we'll get to Houston in a minute. That could be a good but not great pick. Somewhere between like 8 and 14, maybe, based on how well C.J. Stroud is playing. The value for them is getting a top three pick, probably getting a top two pick, and hopefully for them getting the number one pick to take Caleb Williams, even though he had a terrible game against Notre Dame. So I definitely think they are a viable candidate to trade people ahead of the October 31st trade deadline. I think the tank is definitely on in Arizona. Speaking of teams that are that are or should be tanking, Patriots Raiders. I think I've decided what tag I want to hang on the Patriots. Congratulations to the Tennessee Titans. You are no longer the least watchable team in the NFL. It's excruciating to watch Patriots games. 
I know that Romo and Nance were at this game because broadcasting crews and tech crews like to do dry runs of the location where they're broadcasting the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl's in Vegas this year. But that game felt beneath them on a number of levels. Mac Jones, I said he wouldn't be a starter in the NFL next year. I think next week needs to be in play. That was, like, I wonder if Josh McDaniels, who's also incompetent, felt bad for Bill Belichick. They've got one win. I don't know where this thing goes. I maintain it won't be a firing. I don't know if Bill can admit the mistake and bench Mac Jones, but I think he might want to play Mac Jones in the interest of tanking to get the top pick. But I don't know if Bill wants to help Kraft if he's not going to be there to get the top pick. Like that's a rough situation. And there's something about Belichick, like watching him have no answers is uncomfortable. It makes you question the laws of gravity is up or down and down is up. Like, Bill Belichick can't solve a football problem. It's just an uncomfortable, unlikable watch and a really, really, really boring brand of football. I think I'd rather watch a Titans game than a Patriots game. So that's two years where I found them to be like the least interesting team in the NFL. I think the Patriots have taken the mantle because at least like with Vegas – because especially with Judon out, like with Vegas, like Max Crosby, exciting. Tyree Wilson, exciting. Devontae Adams when he plays, exciting. Jacobs, exciting. Like, what do the Patriots have? What is interesting about them with no Judon? I, it is a real tough watch. Houston and New Orleans. What did this game tell us about the Texans? It tells me that they are just well coached. Like that that is a that is an impressive win. The Saints defense has been very good this year. And the interception streak ended for Stroud, but that dude is poised and he plays mature And they don't have their first-round pick. It'll take them a minute. And we'll see how good Jacksonville gets for how long. But, I mean, if you found your quarterback, your coach, and your pass rusher, and you're in a weak division, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we'll still see what happens with Anthony Richardson and Jacksonville deserves, you know, it's where they are, even though I bet against them a mere two weeks ago. But I'd be really, really, really bullish if I was a Texans fan. Like, you should be able to get, like, I know free agents will go anywhere in the NFL. They'll go to wherever has the most money. But guys like living and playing in in Houston – just that feels like a if you're buying stock in an NFL team they'd be a cheap stock right now uh maybe you should buy like if you want to invest in athletes like buy those rookie cards the the rated PSA 10 graded rookie cards I could ask my buddy Lefko about that 
But like, see, it just seems like I'd want to own stock in the Houston Texans right now. Maybe I'll buy myself a CJ Stroud uh, graded out rookie card and hold that for like five years. That just feels like a real good situation. And I said to Pony that it was disrespectful that he put Bears and Vikings last in the rundown. And I just want to apologize to Pony. Because the question this week is how bad is this for the Bears? And it's real bad. It's real bad. I don't know. We're going to get the MRI results probably, you know, tomorrow on Justin Fields and the the dislocated thumb and he wanted to play and go back in there. X-rays are negative. Tyson Bajan looked better than him for a brief moment in time, but then almost got guys killed and turned the ball over. So not even really. They were both terrible today. They were were just bad in different ways. But – They can't get the ball to DJ Moore after he's the player of the week. They can't snap the ball, so they bench their center. Then they seemingly lie about benching their center. Then the other team doesn't have Justin Jefferson. Your GM and your coach haven't had a single win against the NFC North. If Fields is out for multiple weeks, it's just gonna it's gonna erase the ability for him to have a large enough sample for him to prove to Ryan Poles that he deserves for him to pass on Caleb Williams or Drake May, and they're going to keep losing games, and the Panthers are going to keep losing games, so they're going to have the ability to take one of the two, and Poles is probably going to take his guy. And it's just sad because Justin Fields is the most physically gifted quarterback I've ever seen the Bears have in my lifetime. I mean, Jay Cutler had an incredible arm, but – It wasn't anything like this. And it just feels like he's going to run out of time. And don't get it twisted. I mean, he was bad today. But, I mean, it really feels like coach bad, quarterback bad, line bad, GM maybe bad. Like, he hired the coach, he traded for Claypool, but he also traded the number one pick for DJ Moore and picked the Panthers to do the trade with. Some of his draft picks look good. It's just, they've got a lot of cap space. But are they going to have, are they hitting the reset button again? It's exhausting to hit the reset button. And if you hit the reset button and you and you draft a new quarterback, you can't give him Matt Eberflus. So now you're firing another coach just two years after you hired him. And then should you hire a new GM so that for the first time in forever, you have a quarterback, a coach, and a GM all brought in together? That makes a lot of sense. But now you're changing it up again. Like The beauty of the, the, the competent organizations is that they've got continuity. They've got an identity. They know who they are. They know what they want to be. They know what they've been. The Bears, it's it's Mark Tressman, and then it's John Fox, and then it's Matt Nagy, and then it's Matt Eberflus, and it's it's old school defensive coach and old defensive coach, and then young, innovative, weird offensive coach, and then back to old defensive coach, and then back to an offensive coach. And it's just like they don't know what they want to be. And then this GM has to inherit this coach. And then this coach has to inherit this quarterback. And then this quarterback gets pawned off on this GM. And it's just, it's just never, it never makes any sense. 
Never makes any sense. They can't even snap the ball. So bad. So bad. So, well, that was an inspiring episode. Mike Meltzer will be in for Pony um, on Thursday. He'll be in the next three episodes, so you won't have to just listen to me drone on after, I mean, this was like a 14-hour marathon day of watching football. Went 0-2 in my show bets. Just getting people sending me screenshots of them parlaying my picks against me, calling for the fade. Said, I got too much attention. You got called out on national TV. Yeah, I know. Thanks again, Nick. I love you, buddy. But damn. Tough day. Tough day in my football life. It's all right. We bounce back. Thank you to Spencer Ray. Talk to you after Thursday Night Football. First and pod. Peace.